peace be with you. <laughs> Today's scripture reading is Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Sorry. Well, peace be with you. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to be uh, with your people in your presence. I pray, Father, that you would allow your spirit to teach us through your word. I pray, Lord, that you uh, would work through me so that I can communicate clearly and uh, in step with the Spirit. I pray, Father God, that you would help us all to love you, to embrace the invitation that you give us today to trust you as our loving Father and to invest in a bigger, better kingdom than our, than our own. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 In 1972, there was a Grammy uh, Award-nominated song called Everybody Plays the Fool, and it was written by the main ingredient. And this week when I was uh, reading this passage and uh, preparing a sermon, uh, the song just kept coming to mind. And here's the first stanza of the song. It says, okay, so your heart is broken. You sit around moping, crying and crying. You say you're even thinking about dying. Well, before you do anything rash, dig this. Everybody plays the fool sometimes. There's no exception to the rule. Listen, baby. It may be factual, may be cruel. I ain't lying. Everybody plays the fool. <laughs> and as I thought about this passage, I thought about how true it is for us in our Christian, uh, in this church, in our community, and, and just in general, that everybody does play the fool. The author's there, the songwriter there's specifically talking about with love. Um, but here, this passage, I believe Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter as it deals with our money. And in essence, when we look at chapter 12, Jesus is telling us that everybody plays the fool when it comes to money. That money has us all looking foolish at some time. And there's two ways in this passage that I want to show you this morning that we, each of us in this room, are susceptible to look foolish as it relates to money. 
The first is that money often blinds us to our greed. And second, we look foolish because money often exaggerates our perceived need. So those are two things we want to look at in today's text in light of this parable as we continue our series on the parables and specifically looking at money this week. That money blinds us to our greed and second, money exaggerates our perceived need. So here in this passage, a man comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus a question. Uh, uh, There's a, a beef between him and probably his older brother. And he's asking Jesus to be the judge, to, to stand in between him and his brother. And basically he's saying, Jesus, tell my brother to give me more of my inheritance. And what's interesting here is that Jesus uh, does not get in between this man and his brother. Jesus uh, is not going to intervene in that way and become uh, the judge, but rather Jesus is going to get to the heart of the issue, which is that this man, as well as what Jesus perceives to be the problem with the crowd here in Luke 12, um, and the issue here is the issue of, of greed. So Jesus, when he responds to this man, does not mention this squabble between him and his brother, but rather he gets to the heart of the issue. I love how he responds, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? And then he says to him, watch out, be aware, right? Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Now, uh, this isn't the first time that Jesus has told um, this audience to to watch out, to be aware, to look for uh, specific things. In chapter 12, verse 1, He says, it says this, meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. I mean, look at that picture. Jesus began to speak to his disciples saying, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So just before Jesus tells this man to be on guard, to watch, he says, he uses the same terminology to the Pharisees who are the heroes of the day, the religious leaders of the day. And he's saying, watch out for, look out for, their hypocrisy. Last week, we looked at Luke 16, and we saw the Pharisees' hypocrisy as Jesus confronted them with the fact that they were lovers of money, lovers of money. Also, I love in this picture that it's thousands of people who are following Jesus, thousands upon thousands of people who are eager to see him. They're trampling on each other, trying to get close to him to to hear a word from this rabbi who is turning Jerusalem, who's turning Israel, Palestine, upside down. And everyone is drawing near to Jesus. And it's interesting here that as he has these thousands of people attention, people want to get close, that the subject that he talks about is money. Subject that we don't like to hear a lot about in church. A subject that, to be honest, as a pastor, I don't particularly like to to preach about. Jesus handled this topic often. 11 of the 28 parables are explicitly about money. 16 of the uh, uh, 38, excuse me, parables that Jesus uh, speaks of deals in some way with money. So Jesus is constantly talking about money. Why? Verse 34 of the same passage, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, Jesus is getting to money because he realizes that what we do with our money and what we think about our money says a lot about our spirituality and whether or not we truly have faith and truly are exercising our faith in God. Jesus tells this man, watch out. This is the issue. The issue between you and your brother is an issue of greed. Be on guard against. I love what he says, all kind of greed. What is greed? Greed is a lust for more. 
Greed is a lust for more. It could be a lust for more money. It could be a lust for more power. It could be a lust for more attention. It's a lust for more. And here's the thing about greed. Greed is often subversive and subtile. The reason he says, watch out for it, look for it. In essence, he's telling the crowd, look for it in your own life. Why? Because it's, it's, it's harder to recognize in our lives. In fact, when we think about just our Christian church uh, culture, the evangelical church, what I hear within our culture and within the American church is look out for this, look out for that, but seldom is it look out for greed. We, we say a lot of times, look out for adultery, look out for fornication, look out for, for anger, but how often do we hear the message, look out for greed, and yet throughout the Bible, the Bible is warning us to be aware, to look out for a greedy heart, a heart that is never content, a heart that is constantly seeking for more. One of the seven deadly sins is a sin of greed. Jesus often talks about greed. The Apostle Paul, when he lists in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, of sins that are being mentioned in the Corinthian church. One of the sins that he mentions is greed, and we too have to watch out for greed. So this is one of the ways in which we play the fool by being greedy. But how do we know that we're greedy? I think as we look at this parable, this short story that packs a big punch about God's kingdom, we see three things that this man did that Jesus is going to talk about that shows us that his heart was greedy. The first is, is that he believed that he owned what he had. And one of the ways in which we can look into our own heart to, to see and, and to have a, a, a diagnostic on our own heart is to see if, is do we live as if we are the owners of what we have? Notice in this text that this man has an abundant harvest. And at the end of the day, the story is about a man who has an abundant harvest and who is fixated on self-indulgence and and who decides to himself to to tear down his barns and to build bigger barns. But we see in this text that when he talks about his wealth, he uses these personal pronouns over and over, my. He says, my crops, my barns, my surplus. The fixation with self, I will tear down. I will store up. I'll say to myself, what shall I do? This man believes that he's in control and that he is the owner of everything. Some time ago, I had a conversation with a a man who owned a business and the business boomed and was uh, doing really well, but he uh, lost his job. uh, and, and lost his business. And he was quickly reflecting on me about this loss. And he concluded, he said, my issue, as I look back on it, was that I believe that I was the center of this business's success. He said, and I began to believe that I was indispensable and I can do whatever I wanted to do and treat people however I wanted to treat them. And I learned a huge lesson. And as I look at this passage, this guy, he believes that everything revolves around him. Uh, He is fixated on his own crops and what he's built and what he's gained. And in our own hearts, the question is, is do we see ourselves as stewards of all that God has given us in life? And this is a common theme throughout the parables. 
that we are stewards, we are managers, we are not owners. God is the one who gave this abundant harvest to him. This was a, a gift of grace. This was not something that he earned or he deserves. Sure, he plowed. Sure, he sowed seeds. But as the scripture says, God is the one who gave the increase. Do we believe that we own what we have? Second, we can play, money makes us play the fool and we look foolish when we gloat over what we have. There's a sense in which this man is, is gloating over what he has. He's boasting over what he has. Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And God has blessed us with these gifts. Every good gift comes from the Lord. And everything that we receive that is, that is good and, and holy and, 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 and right is from God. And God wants us to enjoy these things. And there's no problem with a, a desire to enjoy these things and the fruit of our labor but it becomes a problem when we find our identity in it. It becomes a problem when we fixate our attention over it. It becomes a problem when we look down on people who do not have what we have and we find ourselves gloating over what we have, boasting in our hearts over what we have, edging God out of our lives because of what we have. That's really the issue that the Bible is constantly talking about in a scripture in James uh, chapter uh, 5 we uh, see that, that God is, 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 is going to get to this, this issue through James. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to do this or that, spend a, a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live to do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. And remember last week, we talked about this scheming for the kingdom, whether we're scheming for God's kingdom or are we scheming for our kingdom? And this man in this parable is scheming for himself. I'm going to build, tear down these barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'm going to live the way that I want to live. It's not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin to have things. It's a sin when we gloat in it. And we begin to think that our life belongs to us. We begin to think that we're grown and we can do whatever we want. Verse 16 as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and does not do it, it is a sin for them. And then it's chapter five. Listen to how James applies this. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moss hath eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, beware, be on guard. The, gate, the wages you fail to pay, the workers who mold your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And in context, who is the innocent one who's not opposing you? It's, it's their workers. It's their workers who aren't able to 
really make a, a, a good living wage to be able to protect themselves and have good health. So this is a message throughout the scripture. And the issue with this rich man and the way in which we, we see that he, he has greed is he's kind of gloating over what he has and he's not running, he's not running his life through the scripture and past God. He's not seeking God's kingdom and God's will. And even as the average Jew, as they're listening to this, this would have been evident as they are thinking this through, through the lens of the Torah, through the lens of the scripture. And they're thinking about passages like Deuteronomy 24, where it says, when you are harvesting in your field and you're Overlook a, a sheaf. Do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Look at this picture of generosity. Look at God's heart. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That's pointing to the grace that they received. That is why I command you to do this. He says, remember that you once were without, and I was gracious towards you. I was generous towards you. Now you be generous towards other people. You are my people. You're not to be like the world. You're not to build bigger barns. You're not to seek to be as comfortable as you possibly can for the purpose of self-indulgence. He says, look around. Remember that people are hurting. Remember that people are lost. Remember that people that I made and that are in my image needs to know me. And one of the ways that they come to know me is by my people being gracious towards them and thoughtful towards them and, and building a bridge towards them rather than bigger barns, barns that will fade, barns that will corrode, barns that will burn, barns. We see that he's kind of gloating and he's forgotten this. And the third way that we can tell that money is blinding us is, is when we believe the lie that we're secure because we have it. There's a sense of security that this man has. If I just big, bigger barns, if something happens, I, I'm still secure. But notice verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. God calls this man a fool. This is the only place in the scriptures where God specifically calls a specific individual a fool. He talks in general about people who are foolish, but this is specific. The person that God calls a fool is a person who is living a self-indulgent life without considering God's kingdom first. He says, you fool. And we all have played the fool in some, in some way or some, way, some, some, some point. And we all have seen this happen throughout history. We can be reminded of at the height of the Great Depression, that one out of four Americans went unemployed. And at the great crash of 1929, that when unemployment was rising and the stock market was falling, um, that people found their identity in their wealth, in their money, and the suicide rates jumped up quickly um, in, a, in an alarming way. And it's because people think that if I have more in savings, if I have a great retirement plan, then I'm safe. 
And the fact of the matter is, Jesus is pointing out that you're not safe. This wealth that you have is not true wealth because your life could be required of you tomorrow. And it's foolish for you to build on this untrue wealth because this can be taken away from you anytime and your life is just a mist. And he's saying, why are you building up your life, living your life for this short amount of time when, when you die, your soul is going to live for eternal? He's saying, place your life not in a man-built, fragile, self-indulgent, gluttonous, greedful manner. Place your life in a kingdom that is beautiful, in a kingdom that saves, in a kingdom that affirms the image of every single person being in God's image, in a, in a kingdom that gives joy, in a kingdom that gives life, in, in a kingdom that gives purpose, in a, in a kingdom that saves people from the gutter to the uttermost, in a, in a kingdom that will one day collide with earth and do away with all untrue wealth. Place your investment in that. Amen. Now, he's not saying that we can't save. No, Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. It is wise for us to save. It is wise for us to store up. It is wise for us, as the Proverbs say, to consider the ant. And many of us are biblically, we're biblically anemic. We don't know what the Bible has to say about wealth because we don't read our Bibles. We don't know what the Bible has to say about our possessions because we, we, we just simply don't read our Bibles. And I just want to encourage you to pick up your word. I want to encourage you to read the book of Proverbs. There's 31 Proverbs, it's 31 days of the month. I want to encourage you next month to maybe just read a proverb a day and underline anything that has to do with possessions. And it's just pause and pray, Lord, help me to see my possessions in light of you and what you've called me to do as a kingdom citizen. So we see that everyone plays the fool. We all are this rich man in some way. We all are greedy, hoarding at times, uh, self-indulgent. And, and Jesus has given us an invitation to live a better life, a flourishing life, a good life by relinquishing this attitude that me and minds and by seeing that God owns everything and that the joy of the Lord is our strength, that when we live life, not according to our own advantage, but according to the advantage of God, that it's actually the pathway to joy, the pathway to peace. Peace with God and peace with other people. The second way in which money makes everybody play the fool is money makes everybody play the fool because money exaggerates our perceived need. Money exaggerates our perceived need. In verses 22 through 34, go home and, and read that passage. It's a passage in which Jesus, after telling this parable, is talking to his disciples, and he says this, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat. And over and over, he's telling his disciples not to worry. Verse 35, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? He's getting back to what he was getting to, with this, this rich man in this parable, that it's foolish for you to build your own kingdom and live a self-indulgent life, a life that just revolves around you and accumulating stuff, which many times points to an issue of where we're finding our identity, where we're finding security. 
He says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Right? So Jesus is now saying, listen, a part of the way that money makes us foolish is it blinds us to the, our grief. The other way that money makes us fool, foolish is it exaggerates our perceived needs. And this is a trick of Satan. The Bible says that all that is in the world is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All that is in the world, the greatest temptation in the world is to be discontent and to be greedy for more. This is the, the cardinal sin that we see in, in Genesis 1 through 3. As God created the world and and Adam and Eve and called them to be co-regents, called them to take dominion over all that they have. They had everything. They had this beautiful garden. They had God's presence. They had power. They had authority. But still their hearts weren't content. Why? Because they were greedy and they wanted to be just like God. This is a story of Israel in the wilderness as God has delivered them from the heavy hand of Egypt and he is on their way. He's promising them a better place, a promised land that flows with milk and honey. But in the in-between time, they can't see God's provision. All they see is what they don't have. In Egypt, we had salad. We had biscuits. We had biscuits. We had pancakes. Right? And God was giving them fresh manna every day from heaven, angels' food. And this is an issue of the heart. We often exaggerate our needs. I was reading a, 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 a study, um, and I didn't look in depth to see the quantitative nature of it, the research, but I was just kind of reading through a study where a study was done and interviewed people who made $100,000 uh, in America today and asked them, one of the questions, simply asked them, is with what you make, do you believe that all your needs can be met? And over two-thirds of the people who answered that question said no. No. Now, here's the thing. Most of us in this room are a part of the top 3% of the world when it comes to income. Most of us in this room are. Um, and that's not $100,000. That's, that's, that's what uh, we would consider our lower class <laughs> is richer than the majority of the world, has more food, more options for clothing, and better housing than most of the world. But yet, most of us on a daily basis, if we really get into our psyche, just like Jesus is exposing this man's psyche, we believe that we need more and that our needs aren't met. And for some of us, right, we're throwing a fit because we can't afford or have the, what is it, the new iPhone 10. So our needs aren't being met because we can't unlock, we can't unlock the screen with our eyes. Let's just be real. And some of us, we go into a pity party, like, man, I actually got to use my thumb to unlock my screen. Like, my phone won't take a picture that looks like, I, like, I'm, like I'm standing right in front of a person. Like, this is why God doesn't love me, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, listen, that's not what life is about. And Satan has deceived us, and, and he has deceived the American church, and he's deceived me into thinking that life It's about things that life is not about. And the scriptures constantly remind us to renew our mind, 
to have our knives removed, to, to live as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, to have a different perspective than the people in the world, to rethink the way that we think about things, to, to know that this short time that we have on earth is so small, so small in light of the eternity and, and the way in which we should spend our time is not building, not investing into a kingdom that's going to burn. There are no U-Hauls behind a hearse. You can't take any of this with you. But to invest in the kingdom that is to come. And Jesus gives us an invitation here. He says, how do you know if money's making you play the fool? It's because you're blinded by your greed and it's because you're constantly exaggerating your needs. And Jesus gives us an invitation. And what is the invitation? It is to seek first his kingdom. Verse 31, what's this kingdom? We talk about the kingdom of God. We're talking about life with God under his rule. And I add, under his care. Some people just talk about the rule of God. Being under the rule of God is being under the care of God. He says, no, don't fixate yourself on your barns. Fixate yourself on a bigger and better kingdom a kingdom that will not corrode and a kingdom that will not fail. Fix your eyes on a king that loves you, on a king that cares about you, on a king that says, find your significance in me, on a, kingdom that say, a king that says, I, I take upon your sin, I take upon your shame, I take upon your guilt, I take upon your pain, I take it all upon and I absorb it so that you, so that you in God's eyes can be seen as perfect and loved and cherished and sung over every day. Invest your life, invest your life in his kingdom, not in a fleeting kingdom. And the people that we're often trying to impress are people that we often don't like and don't like us. Let's just keep it 100. I said like, I didn't say love. Chris, that's supposed to like everybody. Let's keep it real. You don't like everybody. <laughs> you need to love them. You don't always like them. Look at this invitation, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Y'all, some of you just need to underline that. Some of us need to just write that on our mirrors this week. Um, Listen to this. Don't be afraid. Fear is what drives us to stockpile. Fear is what drives us to exaggerate. Fear of not living up to someone else's expectations. Fear of not living up to our own expectation. Fear of having an emergency hit and we feel like, like our, our savings is gone or, or, or we can't even make it through the next week as we live in check to check. It's fear. It's fear. But look at what God calls us. He calls us his little flock. He reminds us that we're his children. He reminds us that we're his father. He says, you are not orphans. You are not orphans. You, you are not fatherless. You, you, you are not shepherdless. I am your shepherd. I am your father. I got you. And he tells us, consider, consider the, the poetically and creatively. He, he says, consider creation and how I provide for him. He even goes so far as to say, consider the ravens. He's like, yo, if I take care of the ravens, he doesn't even mention like a pretty bird, like a cardinal or something, a raven. That's like a, a rat with wings. He's like, consider the ravens. If I take care of the ravens, will I not take care of you? And that takes trust. And listen, I'm going to be honest. 
That's something we cannot garner up in our own strength. Not worrying is where worry is, is a word that uh, gives us a word picture of being choked to death, of suffocating. When we worry, it is, it is almost self-inflicted uh, uh, strangulation. Self-inflicted strangulation. He is inviting us to trust him. And the only way that we trust him is through the spirit. The only way that we trust him is through God working. And that's why God constantly in the scriptures, Philippians chapter four says that the way, one of the ways in which we get there is by quieting our hearts and putting our gaze on Jesus and taking our burdens to him and praying. It's by confessing our sins to others so that we, James 5, our sin of worry and our sin of anxiety, so that we would find healing. It's by going to the word. And and it could be by other means. Some of us, it's constant anxiety, it's constant worry, it's it's garnered because of maybe, maybe deeper issues. And it's by working through and talking about that with others so that we can get that, the medical help so that maybe our minds can slow down so that we can enjoy God's presence. But he has given us an invitation here, given us an invitation. So I want to give us really quick, a quick application, a quick way in which we can slow ourselves down and watch out for greed, um, a way in which we can slow ourselves down corporately and watch for an exaggerated need. We're coming up on Lenten season, season 40 days before we celebrate the the resurrection of of Jesus. And one of the things that we wanna do as a a church is we wanna call a a corporate fast, okay? A corporate fast. And specifically this year, as we observe uh, Lent, uh, we wanna call us as a church on Fridays, uh, when we talk about fasting, what is fasting? It is, is setting aside biblical fasting food something that we see as a need, something that we see as necessary for a period of time in order to focus our attention, attention that we would give to that food um, on God, in order to humble ourselves and to come to a place of dependence. So every Friday, and more details will be up and upcoming next week and a week after, as a church, we wanna uh, take a period of time, a day if you can, uh, perhaps a, a half a day, sun up to sundown, to, to refrain from food and just to pray and to seek God's face and to use that time to say, God, Lord, search my heart. Show me where I am greedy. Remind me that the thing that I need most is not physical food. The thing that I need most is your presence in Jesus Christ. We read these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Jesus Christ, though he was rich, He became poor, said that through his poverty, we might become rich. Jesus Christ, though he was rich, became poor, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. And here's the thing. We can choose, we have two choices. One, we can be rich in the eyes of the world and foolish, or I say wise in the eyes of the world and foolish in the eyes of God, or we can be wise in the eyes of God and foolish in the eyes of the world. The difference is where you are staking your hope in God's kingdom or your own. The Bible says that Jesus was rich 
right? And he chose to become poor so that we can become rich. Jesus, who is equally God, Philippians chapter 2, equally God, owner of everything, emptied himself, became a human being, and died on the cross so that we can become wealthy or rich. The Bible says that Jesus became foolish in the eyes of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 2. The foolishness is the cross is foolishness to the world. He became foolish in the eyes of the world so that he can be wise in the eyes of his father. So Jesus made that, that choice and he died on the cross for us so that we can have true wealth and so that we, like him, through his power, through his influence, through his spirit, can be wise in the eyes of God and foolish in the eyes of the world. And every Sunday... We set our affections to that Jesus by taking a meal together called communion. And this communion reminds us that Jesus was rich towards God and that he empowers us to be rich towards God as well. But being rich towards God means that we probably will be poor in the world's standard and unwise in the world's standard. But every week we gather and we take this meal together to remind ourselves of what matters most, to have a tangible reminder, a taste that reminds us of true reality and true riches. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way he took a cup, said, this cup is a new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christian, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. If you're not a Christian, um, I want to encourage you to, to come to Christ today. I want to encourage you to empty yourself today, to come to God and say, I am empty. Would you fill me? In order to empty yourself, you have to agree with God that you have sinned against this, your creator, that you've sinned against your father, but recognize that, that he offers forgiveness and reconciliation as you place your hope, not in bigger barns, but in a bigger and better kingdom that is provided by his son, Jesus Christ. Empty yourselves today. You may look foolish to the world. You may look foolish to your friends. You may look foolish to your parents or foolish to your spouse, but in God's eyes, you are wise and you are deeply loved. Empty yourself today. Those of you in the front, half the room, come to the front. Back half the room, go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.